Remember the year 2011? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a blur for me too. But 10 years ago, this podcast had just started to promote a new book by Dave Ramsey. That book? You guessed it, Entree Leadership. From the Ramsey Network, this is the Entree Leadership Podcast, where we help business leaders grow themselves, their teams, and their profits. I'm your host, George Camel, and today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're celebrating the 10th anniversary of the book, Entree Leadership. So our first guest today is the author himself, Dave Ramsey. He's the CEO of Ramsey Solutions and a seven-time number one national best-selling author, one of those being Entree Leadership. He's also a personal finance expert and host of The Ramsey Show. In our conversation, you'll hear about the genesis of Entree Leadership, which didn't start as a book idea, but instead was born out of necessity. We'll also talk about the impact that these principles have had on leaders like you and what Dave has learned in the decades since the book released. Our second guest today is the CEO of Texas Gates, Stephen Capps. He's been a business owner since 2003 and has overcome unbelievable adversity both personally and professionally. He'll share his story of being on the brink of bankruptcy to now running a seven-figure debt-free business, thanks in part to the Entree Leadership Principles intersecting his life. Up first, my conversation with Dave Ramsey. So Dave, we're here celebrating 10 years of Entree Leadership, the book. In 10 years, what has aged better, you or the book? <laughs> the picture on the book. <laughs> that You know, it stayed perfect all these years. Well, this is exciting because the impact this has had, I know it's something that you've hoped for, that you expected even, but it really has turned into so much more than the book. It's turned into an entire brand. And I want to go back to over a decade ago when this was just an idea, something that you kind of stumbled upon. Where were you at as a leader and in the business? Well, we were starting to discover what we now teach in Entree Leadership, and, and if, I taught it just a few months ago in Entree Master Series, uh, that this idea that delegation is only possible when you can trust someone's competence and their integrity. And competence includes, are they going to do the thing the way you want it done, the way you would do it? Can they finish your sentences? And so I, I had reached the point in the company that I had people who knew how to do stuff. They just weren't doing it the way I do it necessarily. Or, they're, you know, they'd be like 95% there, but that other 5% was was an irritant. It was an aggravation. And it's like, no, no, if you would just do it just a little bit over that, th now you got it. Okay. And, and so I, I decided that if we were going to have leaders that I could delegate to, that I was going to have to teach them the Ramsey way of doing that thing, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it's accounting, whatever the subject is in business, what would Dave do? What would Ramsey do? And if they know that, then they have the opportunity to go do it. But I can't really hold them accountable or delegate to them if they don't know what to do. So we decided we we're going to start teaching, okay, here's how we do marketing. Here's how we do sales. Here's how we do finance. Here's how we manage cash. Here's how we manage customer complaints. Here's how we hire, how we fire. And that's that was the genesis of the whole thing. So it was kind of in your head, and you had to put it on paper in order to teach it and go, here's how we do it. Yeah, I was already doing it. I just had to put it down, you know, and so I would get off the air and sit, you know, we were doing a, uh, we'd do a lesson at uh, 5 o'clock on Tuesday evening. 
was our time. And so because we closed at 530 and it was an hour long, I told them, if you want to learn leadership, it's not required you come to this class, but you're not going to be a leader if you don't come to this class. So it's okay. If you don't want to be a leader, it's okay. It's not required, but this is not a mandatory, but come in there if you want. And we'll start at five and I'll give you 30 minutes on the clock and you give me 30 minutes off the clock for your self-improvement and I'll teach a lesson. And I literally would come off the air at four o'clock and sit down and type out a lesson and uh, run it, you know, with a fill in the blanks. And because I knew what I wanted to say, it didn't take long. And then I just go to the copier, run them off and three hole punch them. And, you know, there's 40 people in there, 30 people in there. So I just run them off myself. I did it all myself and wow. walk in there with the overhead projector and start writing on it and start teaching. And this was all really birthed out of pain points you were feeling as a business owner and a leader going, hey, I need people to do it this way. And that's kind of a cool genesis for entree leadership. You can't delegate. No one listening can delegate. If the people that you're delegating to don't know how to do it the way you want it done, now, it, whatever it is. And so uh, I can't delegate a difficult conversation. I can't delegate a uh, handling a problem customer. I can't delegate whatever it is until they know how we're going to do it here. They may have done it a different way at their other place. They may have specialized knowledge in their particular discipline. All of that's a possibility, but I've got to have them in sync. You got to be able to finish each other's sentences. Yeah. So this started as, as a class, and obviously it worked as you started to develop leaders in the company and we started growing, but it became more than just a class at some point. Walk us through that journey from class to kind of where Entree Leadership is at today. Well, we were doing the class, and Daniel Tardy was uh, a young, you know, upstart with the company, and he was selling stuff over in the ELP side, in the endorsed local provider side, and he came to the class, and he was just enamored with the material, and he said, if we ever do anything with this, I want to help. I want to be part of it. So I went to the guy at the time that was running our live events, and I said, I think we can do a, a business event with this material, let's see if we can sell a ticket or two on the radio. And, uh, and and Daniel Tardy probably helped us do that. So actually, the three of us sat down and said, oh, okay, let's have a, an entree leadership event. Um, and we did. And there was probably 50 people or something like that. And uh, then there was 100. And then there was 150. And then we decided to do some events uh, at some all-inclusives at resort areas like down in Cancun and that kind of thing. And it just, the brand kept growing and growing and growing. And these events were, you know, they were profitable and they were fun. And, and it was really striking a chord with the small business community. And because I love small business people, I am one. And, and this was like, this is like real world stuff. We really do this crap. You know, it's not just some professor that's on tenure that's never made payroll. You know, this is not business theory. I'm, I'm in the trenches every day. Matter of fact, I did it 10 minutes before I walked up on stage here and teach you the same stuff that I just did, you know. And so that's, it really resonated with what has become the Entree Leadership Tribe, the community around this. And it's just, um, you know, because it was stuff we were already doing that was successful. And so all of these events led to you going, all right, we need to put this in a book. We need to package this up so that anyone can go buy a book and get all of this information. Yeah, I mean, we worked that event schedule for several years. I don't remember how many exactly. And then we finally just said, you know, this thing really could be uh, we've got enough brand momentum here. There's enough people involved in this tribe that I think we could sell enough books to make it a bestseller. And uh, and so, you know, we sat down and, and decided to uh, begin negotiating with publishers on who would get the 
rights to the book and so forth, and uh, and we were right. I mean, it went zoom, zoom. It's it's a huge book. Over the last 10 years that it's been out, I'm sure you've heard tons of stories of the impact it's had. You've heard personally from you know our attendees and clients at Entree Leadership Events. Does anything stand out to you as far as the principles that were in the book and how they've helped business owners listening? You know, I think the, the times that I know that it, it's right and that it's the right book for the right time and that it's – and that the material is, is the truth and it's real and it's helpful is when I run into someone who – is very, very insecure in their business acumen. Like they got this thing going and it feels like they're riding the bull and they don't know how to ride a bull. I mean, this is, it's out, it feels out of control to them and they've got that look in their eye that's a little bit, it's half fear, half desperation and half excitement. You know, there's three halves there. It's, it's a wild time, you know. So, and then this material is inserted and I sit and talk to them afterwards and they go, you know, I read this book and oh my gosh, this this really gave me the power to get up above this thing that was kind of riding me. I started riding it instead. Uh, so I guess I twisted the metaphor, but still, that, that, you know, that that's the idea. And then the second thing that I've enjoyed with the book is we've hired so many people over the years. You know, we've got a thousand folks plus now on the team. And the number of times I and with uh, our team members after 90 days, I always get with all the new team members and go, okay, what kind of finish up your onboarding here, uh, you're now officially a team member. And what is one of the things you that's your aha moment from being here 90 days? You're like, wow, I kind of that kind of was awesome, caught me off guard. Give me something that you feel great about, Ramsey, now that you're here. And um, a lot of times, they go, I read Entree Leadership, and my aha moment is that the business is really run like you said it was the audio matches the video, you know, and he goes, wow. I was just, I was a little bit afraid that the book said it was all, you know, uh, Skittles and unicorns or whatever and rainbows. And, and then we get in here and he goes, we really do this stuff. Yeah. A lot of the times, you know, you work somewhere and, and they don't really practice what they preach. And right. the core values are just a thing they put on the wall versus something that we we live out. These are not aspirational. This is who we are. And I love that about Entree Leadership. And we make a required reading. A lot of people don't know that. When you start here, you get a nice stack of books to read. Mm-hmm. And one of those is Entree Leadership because you have to understand the way that we do leadership here at Ramsey if you want to be here long term. Well, that's our current version of going through the class with the overhead projector in the old days. You know, I mean, you need to know this is how we do it here. And that'll help you make decisions as a team member when you're faced with something, you know, because you read that. And then if you did something the way we said to do it in the book, and then we really can't complain. We really have to go, way to go. You know, good job. Yeah. So in 10 years of, of this book being out, you've changed a lot as a leader. You've experienced a lot as a business owner. If you were to write Entree Leadership 2.0 today, what would you add to that? Entree leadership has always been the material in general, and included the book, has always been our playbook. This is how Ramsey does what we Ramsey does. This is this is who we are. This is what we do. And so the, you know, I think the biggest thing that has changed since the book was written all the ten years ago is the digital marketplace, and uh, the way that we think about products in the digital world is a little different than you think about products in the analog world. Uh, you still have to do sales and marketing. You still have to provide value. You still have to solve a problem. You still have to scratch the itch. You still have to be entrepreneurial. But the 
process that you use to, for delivery of that product and for the design of that product and the production of that product, that digital product, uh, this podcast being one of those, you know, the, the, those things are different. And so, you know, we would probably rewrite some of those chapters. I think there's probably a chapter on advertising that's completely outdated or something, you know, But because uh, I used to teach on direct mail and stuff like that, which basically doesn't exist hardly anymore uh, to amount to anything. It's not, a, it's not a valid thing that most people use. Um, and, you know, by the time I write the chapter on email, then it'll be irrelevant, right? So, the, the, you know, the digital landscape has moved a lot of things. Here's the good news, though. The principles that really made Entree Leadership great have not changed. Uh, treat other people like you want to be treated, whether it's your customer, whether it's your team members. Uh, be outrageously generous. Stay out of debt. Serve. Don't sell. And the money will take care of itself. These principles are human principles and business principles that don't shift. How we get them done has changed. Digital being an example versus analog. That's not a principle. That's a how you get it done versus, you know, how you get your marketing done is way different than it was 10 years ago. Yeah. So some of the processes have changed just because of advancement in technology and and that kind of thing. But the principles, the values that are in this book are timeless. Absolutely. So we have developed some new pieces in Entree Leadership that really aren't new to us. We've just figured out a way to, to put them in a framework. And one of those is the, the six drivers of business and the five stages of a business. Walk us through kind of how those were developed and how that uh, interacts with the Entree Leadership material. And, you know, that, that would be in the new book. I, I should have said that. Um, so thanks for circling me back on that. But uh, because that is the clear path that we've always used, but it was a little fuzzy. We didn't know how to describe it. And so we needed to give uh, how you get there a, a clear set of narratives. And, uh, and you need to clearly define what there is. You know, and so the five stages of business were born from treadmill to legacy builder all the way through. And we started looking at, yeah, that's the stages we went through, and that's the stages we've that were observable with 10, 20,000 companies we've now coached over the last uh, 15 years or so. And so those five stages are very clear, and then what it means to graduate from what you need to do, what, you, what tool you need to add to your belt to move from uh, one stage to the next stage to level up. Um, and, and then the six drivers, um, in a sense, we, we had spent a lot of time talking about, we've had so much success communicating with the customer and, and motivating them and giving them traction uh, with the seven baby steps on the financial side that we wanted baby steps for the business side, for the entree leadership, and they just didn't work. It could, we couldn't figure it out because the baby steps are linear and business you know, you know, you get to baby step seven, what do you do, quit? You know, I mean, it's not, it's, that's not the point. And so that's how the five stages were born. And then the six drivers are circular, meaning that a, as you move all the way around from the personal driver, the first one to the sixth one, profit, you start again. And uh, so they're circular. They have a flywheel-esque feel to them. And we've spent years arguing through and wrestling these two concepts of stages and drivers to the ground to get it to work. And man, I got to tell you, we found it. This is, um, this is the thing. As a matter of fact, just a, a, maybe a quick read, a, a small book 
could be written on exactly how the five stages work and how the six drivers work as you go through those five stages. Do you only spin them? Do you only spin that driver, that flywheel, five times? No, you. I think we've probably done it at least ten times here. Mm-hmm. I can go back to milestones and go, okay, and then we got the people thing to another level, and then we got the profit thing to another. We got the product to another level, and then we got personal growth was in the way, and I had to become a different level of leader. Um, you know, the, the time I distinctly remember learning intellectually and, and then emotionally accepting this idea of strategic thought versus just tactically getting crap done because I was just scrapping and clawing. And, and I remember making that move and then how the business just, once I got out of the way because, and everybody started going, okay, we have to do tactical, we have to get our work done, and we have to get above our work to make sure we're doing it in the most efficient way, the shortest distance between two points, because you can't see that when you're in the ditch yeah. fighting and scratching and clawing. So I, I remember these milestones through this place, and a lot of them had to do with me being in the way. And once I would learn something and get out of the way, then we could go there. So the personal, then that spins that wheel, and you go, okay, and then that affects the product, and that affects the profit, and that affects the people. And then you get to the top, and you've got, yep, a larger now organization, more people, more money, more sophistication. Mm-hmm. Then you got to do it again. you got to level up again. And so I think we've spun through those six drivers probably about ten times around here. Wow. Yeah, and in hindsight is where you learned exactly what you did and why you did it. You can point back to those moments. That's really and I've cool. seen it with all the people we've coached in Entree, too. And our Entree leadership coaches have verified, you know, this is exactly what's holding that woman up, that guy up. And when they start doing that, oh, there they go, you know, and we turned them loose. And so I'm really, really excited about the clarity that the six drivers are giving our audience uh, because it, it's kind of like we just <sighs> sighed. We finally got it. Because it was this pent-up frustration. We couldn't put a narrative to how to do it, how to visualize it. And when we finally all got that dialed in, and the team here worked really hard on it, and I, I was, I love getting into that kind of stuff too, and so I, I was involved in it and, and certainly, you know, signing off on it because this is what happened. Yeah. Well, talking about these five stages, as, as we're kind of in this legacy-building stage and you start to delegate, uh, Daniel Ramsey, your son, has taken over uh, leading Entree Leadership as the EVP. And so I want to talk about the future of Entree Leadership. What are you most excited about for the next decade of Entree Leadership? Well, Entree Leadership has world-class coaching right now. Our advisory groups and our executive coaching program is second to none. It is off the charts. We have world-class un believably fabulous events. The Entree Leadership Summit is very possibly the best leadership event in America. It's off the chain. And Entree Master Series is very much meat and potatoes and, you know, really hands-on stuff. And people, it's rich, rich of soul. Those two live event products are just stellar. And so now we've got to get the digital piece uh, of Elite where people can access the content on their own time. They can access coaching and community on their own time. They can access tools on their own time. We, it's good, but we've got to get it to world class. And that's what Dan Ram and the team are really leaning in on. We're going to continue to produce the other stuff at world class level. But that's the thing that needs to level up around here. And uh, as that levels up, the scale of the number of small businesses we can impact is going to be 
going through the roof. Uh, and because the accessibility to the content is just 24-7, and we will have, you know, we will have gone through the iterations to figure out exactly how the, the small business person is going to consume the material, consume the tools, use the tools, contact their coach, uh, be in a community, be in a mastermind group, and have the discussions with their advisory group, and all of those kinds of things. So how to weave all that together in a digital format that's the work that's in front of us, but it's also the opportunity that's in front of us. Yeah. I love talking to business owners and leaders at our events and just hearing their stories and how the Entree Leadership Principles interacted with their personal lives, their professional lives to impact their business. And it's fascinating to meet them year after year and they go, oh man, we doubled our business last year. We did this and we used the drivers and we did, we're in this stage now. And I love hearing those updates. It's just absolutely inspiring. When those light bulbs come on above their head, it's almost like a cartoon and then they run home and do the stuff. And then immediately, six weeks later, call us back and go, it worked! And of course it worked. We knew it was going to work. But it's just, there's this excitement, this enthusiasm when you've, well, when you're frustrated as crud and then the, and then you see a way through the forest. You know, you, you got your machete out, but you're just tired of beating the trees and beating the brush with this machete. And all of a sudden, there's light out there and you go, oh! You know, there's something that happens with that. It's powerful. Yeah. We give them the tools and empower them to do it, and they go do the hard work. Exactly. I love that. So before we leave, I've got you here. You've been in leadership now for 30 years now. I want to know, what is the leadership advice you find yourself giving the most? You know, I don't know if um, it's advice as much as it is just empathy that— um, I don't think you ever arrive when it comes to dealing with your team and dealing with people. You ever arrive at a place where uh, there, there's not something there that's disappointing you inside the people side of the equation, and there's not something there that's really exciting and really rewarding. And so, you know, we've got people on our team that have just – they have become the best version of themselves while on this team, and that is what you want if you're leading. And then you've got people that have just done horrendously horrible, I mean horrible things. And so you've got the scars, and you've got the, uh, if you've been doing this a while, and, and you've got this richness of soul of the times it's gone right. And uh, there's plenty of both, actually. But to sit with someone and just share with them that that is the journey, and they go, oh, God, I thought it was just me. The empathy of just going, that's the journey. And instead they go, I thought I, thought I was the only one that dealt with my bookkeeper ripping me off, and I thought she was like a sister to me, and it's just, the money's gone, but you know what? I, my, I, I just, it hurts so bad, it's hard for me to trust again. Or I thought I was the only one that get tears in my eyes when I see one of my young leaders step up and really step into the shoulder and, and things go really good and they, they open their mouth and wisdom beyond their years comes out and some of those words were my words that I inserted into them and I get to see that as a leader and when they, you know, this is a entree leader playing this back to me, they go, I thought I was the only one that had that that joy, that richness of soul and so it's not really advice, it's just going, hey, this is the journey, this is what it's about and the people piece of it is... Uh, is the most rewarding and the most frustrating. And to just get to sit with entree leaders and say that out loud and they go, oh, I thought I was the only one. Me too. 
That's incredible. Well, I can tell you in my eight and a half years here, the way that these principles have impacted me personally and professionally is I, I can't even put it into words. So I'm just grateful for the work that you've done for 30 years, but especially the last 10 with the Entree Leadership book being out there and impacting so many business owners to lead better, to make themselves better. The impact is innumerable. So I'm excited to see what the future holds, and I'm grateful for your time, Dave. Thank you, George. You're one of the superstars I was just talking about. So <laughs> we're, so, we're so happy and so proud of you. Appreciate that. Thanks so much, Dave, for coming on the podcast and sharing some of those amazing stories. You know, the impact these principles have had is what keeps our team fired up here at Entree Leadership. So up next, I talk to Stephen Caps, a small business owner from Texas and a member of Entree Leadership Elite. He shares his incredible story of personal and professional growth over the last decade. I'll be talking to Stephen right after this. Hey, your small business has a lot of the same challenges that mega corporations do, but without a huge finance team to solve them. I mean, who has time to juggle different apps and programs to manage your cash flow? Well, that's where Found comes in. It's business banking plus easy-to-use financial tools, all to simplify small business finances. Found has all the features you want in a business bank account and none of the stuff you don't. No minimum balance, no opening deposit, and no hidden fees. You can sign up for Found in just minutes. It's easy to access on desktop or mobile, and you can customize your account to organize and manage your funds. Plus, you can create and send free invoices right from the app so you can get paid quickly and easily. It's time to move on to better business banking, designed to help small business owners succeed. It's time for Found. Get started today for free at found.com slash entree. That's found.com slash entree. Found is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services are provided by Piermont Bank, member FDIC. Here's a math refresher. There are only 24 hours in a day, so you and your team need to streamline time-consuming tasks to focus on the activities that make money. Smart businesses are realizing that to reduce headaches as they scale, they need NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform. With NetSuite, you can reduce IT costs because it's cloud-based. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one source of truth. It's a big deal. And you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, saving time and cutting manual tasks and errors. So join the more than 37,000 smart companies like Ramsey Solutions that have done the math and are boosting their efficiency with NetSuite. And right now you can download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to drive the right behaviors for your business absolutely free at NetSuite.com slash Ramsey. That's NetSuite.com slash Ramsey to get your own KPI checklist. All right, we're back with Stephen Capps, CEO of Texas Gates. We're going to talk about his story of going from the brink of bankruptcy to now running a debt-free seven-figure business. Enjoy our conversation. Stephen, it's great to have you on the Entree Leadership Podcast. Well, I'm super beyond excited to be here. We've had the pleasure of meeting before at some of our Entree Leadership events, and I love your story. And as we celebrate the 10-year anniversary of the Entree Leadership book, 
you came to mind as someone who has exemplified these principles, overcome adversity, and achieved some amazing impact in your business. So I want to talk about your story here. Uh, you are the CEO of Texas Gates. How did you get started in business? Well, we have to back up just a little bit. It was 2001. I was 27 years old. I was at the last of my friend group to uh, get married. I was like, I'm never going to get married, you know, because I'm so old, you know, 27. But um, me and my wife pull up to the private reception, you know, and it was like one of those top of the world epic moments. And we jump out of the chauffeured vehicle and we uh, get married by the house because we've been married for two minutes. So we had to have a house. Well, we started working for her dad in her dad's still business. And a year later, whenever her parents moved out of town, they gave us uh, the company. Wow. And uh, people are, are like, oh, yeah, wow, that's awesome. Well, what it amounted to was we got a forklift, a welding machine, and a business that didn't make any money. <laughs> but fortunately, there was one big customer that was basically helping to keep the doors open. And so we worked super hard. We worked extra jobs, maxed out our credit cards, and in two years, we made it. And what, what I mean by making it was we started paying ourselves. And it was that moment where I think all entrepreneurs have, like, this crazy idea is actually going to work. And I had had a dozen harebrained ideas, and I finally had this idea of making custom driveway gates. And it took off, like, zoom, zoom. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And so... We had a couple of employees, and then Elisa goes in for what we felt like was a routine surgery. Um, she was she was going to have her gallbladder removed, and they were doing some other exploratory surgery. So, uh, not a big deal. Well, about an hour into the surgery, her doctor comes into the waiting room, and I was there with my parents and a few uh, family friends, and the doctor drops a bomb. says, you need to get your wife's affairs in order. She has stage three ovarian cancer. And that began a, a journey for you guys yeah. personally while you're trying to run this business. Right. And so uh, the game plan was three rounds of chemo, cancer surgery to go in, uh, remove uh, the tumor, and then three more treatments. And so it was like, hey, no big deal. Well, if you've ever gone through cancer or you know someone who, who has, it's brutal. But uh, we were like, uh, game on. We are going to fight this thing. We are going to beat this. So after the third round of chemo, we are going for the surgery. And at this time, all of our friends are having kids. But instead, we're going to the hospital for cancer treatment. And a full hysterectomy. Mm. But we had made the decision that we're going to adopt. So this is just one more hurdle to get over. And then we're three more treatments and it's over. We're done. So we I go in for the surgery and the doctor comes out. And we're expecting for him to say that the surgery went great. And she's in the recovery room. But instead he says that the cancer is spread and there's nothing that we can do. So over the next 15 months, we prayed, we believed, we questioned, 
we doubted, and we fell more in love. Then one week before Christmas, 2006, Lisa passes away. And we had no life insurance, no health insurance, no savings, just a pile of debt. So I had no other choice but to go back to work immediately. And she ran the office and the books and I ran the shop. And I knew nothing about what she did. I mean, I knew enough to get myself in trouble. <laughs> and so I uh, go back to work and hire a string of the wrong people and just trying to make it from one day to the next. I'm trying to keep this business going, trying to keep my life going. I, knew, I didn't know anything wow. about finances or a business. And so here I am, a man that's a, a dead inside. And all my friends are like, oh, you are, are going to get married again real soon and all this. And I was like, no, I could be single for 10 years. And I then I had friends trying to set me up with their friends that had a good personality, you know. And then out of nowhere, Sarah comes in to my life. I wasn't looking. I wasn't, you know, I, you know, I'm just minding my own business. So Sarah comes in to my life. And so a man who was dead inside, I'm alive again. And our wedding was three months later, which is crazy. <laughs> it, was, it was a whirlwind. And everyone was so excited because everybody knew what I had gone through, the hurt, the pain, and the loss. And, and the wedding was like redemption. It was, I was being restored. So it was another one of those epic, top of the world feelings like, wow, I am starting a new life. Because whenever Lisa died and I turned and I walked away from the gravesite, I felt like my life was over. But really, that was, this, that was only the beginning of my hardship. Yeah, so you had this moment of, of redemption as you get married to Sarah, but that, it was just a moment. What, right. what happens next? Well, we go on our honeymoon, and it was like an East Coast journey. We flew into Portland, Maine, and we drove down the coast to New York City and Washington, D.C., and it was like, this is awesome. But then I get two phone calls, and this is what I call the beginning of the crashing and burning of my life. The first phone call was from one of my employees saying his payroll check just bounced. Hmm. And the second phone call was from my secretary saying that the largest customer just canceled a $30,000 purchase order. So we were crashing already, but now we're on fire. So we're crashing and burning. And I hang up the phone. Sarah doesn't know anything. And I didn't know what to do, what to say. And I just continued to work hard in the business because that was all that I knew was hard work. You thought I could just outwork all of my problems. Right, right. You know, I will just work harder, longer. And there I am on the treadmill. I'm on the treadmill, metaphorically speaking. And... Ian walks one of our vendors, and he sits down across from me at my desk and says, you owe us $6,000, and we, and we need our money. 
it may as well have been six million because I didn't have it. But I owed them six thousand plus I owed about a half dozen others that or more. Mm. What did your debt amount to at that point? Um, around two hundred fifty thousand. Wow. And you just felt this mountain of debt you couldn't crawl yeah. out of. And at every corner, people are saying, hey, you owe me money. Right. And right. we lost this client. Wow. Yeah. yeah, that was a client that was going to help us get out of this. It was like I owed friends and family money. It was like I owed everybody money. But, but that was the moment that I was like, all right, no matter how I got here, it's my responsibility to get out of this mess. So you took ownership. And I have a saying, no excuses. Because I have a thousand reasons why I should be a middle case. First of all, I'm a PK, a preacher's kid. And if that's not bad enough, I don't know what is. But I had an older brother that was killed in a car wreck whenever I was nine. Mm. I had a severe stutter. Like I could not get my name out whenever I'm first meeting someone. And we moved more than 20 times by the time I graduated high school. So I'm always the, the new kid. I move out at 19 go to college, made it about a year, I drop out, and I start to get traction in my mid-20s, but by the time I'm 33, I'm a widower. So no excuses. And I'm going to take it one step further, don't use your life as an excuse. So at this time, I'm just trying to work harder. I'm, you know, got grit in my teeth that I'm not going to quit, but I didn't have the steps and then a friend of ours tells us about Financial Peace University. And we go to the class and we go nuts. Because now I, cause now I have the steps. You got a plan. Now I have a plan. And we are getting out of debt. And then we worked extra jobs. We drove junk cars. I took peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to work every single day. And... It was just that moment of, I'm going to get out of this. Because whenever you would go from, how in the world am I ever going to get out of this? My wife dies, we lose our largest customer, and I suffer near financial ruin and get remarried all in under 12 months. Hmm. So we're working the baby steps. And so we have around $250,000 in two years. So we're a debt-free except for house. Amazing. But our business still wasn't stable. And, and so it was still a struggle. But during that time, we hear about entrepreneurial leadership one day. And I fly to Georgia, go to the entrepreneurial leadership one day. And back then, they gave you a big box of books. And in that box was John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I had been in business for five years and I'd never read a book because that, that wasn't how I thought about a business. A business was hard work and, you know, your work ethic and, you know, ah, we're going to muscle through this. So I took that book back and took my whole team through that book because I found out that I am the lid of my organization. So I have to grow in order for this to grow. And that was in 2008. And every one of those team members are still with us today. Wow. So you had all this personal stuff while this business was starting to grow and you started to get it in a healthier place and set yourself up with a foundation. What were some of those leadership principles, entree leadership principles that helped you as a leader and a business owner? Well, 
I was on a call and I got these three steps. Step number one, mission statement. Number two, core values. Number three, strategic priorities. Because whenever you have a mission, you know where you're going. Whenever you know what you stand for with your core values, then you can hire and fire based on the mission statement and the core values. Because what I was doing was hiring out of desperation. I need help and they need a job. Hey, it's a match made in heaven. This is perfect. And then they don't work as hard as you do. They don't do the job as well as or even close to how you would do it. Well, who is the fool right here that is hiring all these crazy people? So we did a mission statement, core values, and then I start to hire the right people. So we were 13 years into business and I was the only salesperson for 13 years. So we finally hired someone to come and work in the office as an office administrator, and she could sell. So I took Dave's advice from Entree Leadership book, and I hired someone that had both integrity and the capacity to handle the job that I needed to delegate to them because I was making the mistake over and over hiring people with no integrity, and they didn't have capacity to handle the job. And then I'm mad at them because they can't do the job. So I hire this gal, Elisa Stokel. She's a go-getter, hard worker. I get the job done. And I'm delegate, I am dumping everything on her because she has a capacity to, to do it. I was entering receipts. I was updating the check register. I was doing sales, bids. I was doing it all. But I realized... That delegation is multiplication. It takes you from going five plus five to five times five. And all right, as I'm able to get this stuff off of my plate, I'm able to work on the business and not just in the business because I was on the treadmill for 13 years. Yeah, our first stage of business, treadmill operator. You lived that out for a long time. And that is no fun. That is no fun because it makes you despise the thing that you love to do because you have this heart to serve. You have this heart to bring excellence to the marketplace. But then you're on this dad-blame treadmill and you begin to despise it. So I begin to delegate. And that was a game changer because it had been basically me and three folks for uh, 13 years. Now, we're a local regional business. Um, We had worked our way up to a little over 500,000 in revenue, okay? The year that we joined the elite program, we uh, did 730 in revenue. Wow. So it went from 500 to 730. And then we outgrew our facility and we had to move. And I knew that these are the types of things that put people out of business. So I have the entree leadership tribe that I can get wisdom and counsel what is the best way to do this. So I made a budget for our move. So we move, which was awesome. And we hired a second gal in the office, Elena, total rock star. So I have an office in the back. 
And now I have two ladies working in the office. So it's moving me further back from the front lines. And so we got together as a group, wrote our mission statement. You know, hey, what do you think our mission should be? What do you think our core values are? Because whenever you do it together, you create buy-in. This isn't me being a boss. Now, I haven't been a boss in the past. This is what we're going to do, and everyone's going to like it. Things are about to change around here. And then it doesn't change because people don't have uh, the buy-in. And you've, since you started, uh, you know, you've joined Elite and you've been in the program and following these entree leadership principles, you have doubled your revenues, over doubled yes. In, yes. in the years. Yes. That's absolutely incredible. And so 2020 comes, okay, and we all know what 2020 was. And uh, our uh, goal that year was to finally break the million-dollar ceiling. And then uh, Corona hits and the shutdowns, and it's like, what's going to happen? So we got together as a group, and I over-communicated with where we're at and what's uh, going on. And which all these principles are things that I've learned from the Entree Leadership book and, and from the Elite Coaching Program. And I said, our first step is Sarah and I will not take a paycheck until this thing is over. So we didn't take a paycheck for about eight weeks. And everyone's going to cut back their hours by four. And uh, we're just going to hunker down and see what happens. Well, um, Texas is a pretty open state. So things were, you know, bars and restaurants were shut down for a few weeks. But we were able to continue our business. And then we landed three of the largest jobs we've ever had right in the middle of this pandemic. So we were hoping to do a million that year. You know, finally break that ceiling. Well, we ended the year at $1.3 million. And it was like, I could not believe that I was able to go from the treadmill stage, just trying to make it, just trying to keep the doors open, to now I'm in the back working on the business and not in the business. And so it's been a wild, wild ride. Yeah. So as we wrap here, I want you to speak to the listener who may be in that treadmill stage, who's trying to figure out how to get to the next level. And since you're living proof of these principles, what would you tell them that they need to be doing to get out of that treadmill phase and actually be working on the business? Well, first of all, you have to grow yourself. You have to invest in yourself because your organization will not outgrow you. So you have to hire the right folks. You have to delegate. You have to communicate over and over and over again. My job is I am the chief repeating officer. I have to repeat myself over and over again. And then you need to serve. And I have a sort of a saying that you have to be a servant warrior You have to be able to serve your team and your customer with the warrior spirit. There's a story that came out of the Civil War where there was a colonel that he was in charge of holding the ridge at a little round top. And it was just just outside of a Gettysburg. And uh, the Battle of Gettysburg was the bloodiest battle of of the Civil War. More than 50,000 casualties. So it's the day two of fighting. All of the men are hungry, tired, war-weary. But worst of all, 
the union is out of ammunition. And Colonel Chamberlain knows that he has to hold that hill. So he tells his men, put your bayonets on your weapons. And whenever I give the signal, we're going to charge down the hill. So he was being a servant warrior for, for his team. So he yells, bayonets! And the Union rushes down the hill with no ammunition towards the Confederates. And they win the day. So be that servant warrior. Be that leader that your team will follow you into battle. Be that leader that they will follow you with no ammunition, but you have such a mission. We will not lose this hill. So I ask, what is the line that you are holding? What is the hill that you are defending? Be the one that holds the line. Be the one that does not quit. Be a servant warrior. Mm. Inspiring stuff, Stephen. Awesome story. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast and exemplifying these principles and inspiring the leaders listening to, to get to that next level and do what they need to do. So I appreciate you being on with us. Well, it's been a privilege. Huge thanks to Stephen for making the trip to Nashville and for sharing his story. Listen, if you don't have the Entree Leadership book yet, what are you doing? It's time to get it. To celebrate the 10th anniversary, we are giving away the audiobook read by Dave himself for free to the first 100 people. So stop what you're doing right now and go click the link in the show notes. When you get to that page, all you have to do is add the Entree Leadership audiobook to your cart and then apply the promo code 10 at checkout. That's promo code 10, T-E-N, to get the Entree Leadership audiobook for free. And if the code doesn't work, sorry, you're too late. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the show. If you did, leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And we want to hear what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like, and what we could do better. Give us your feedback by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a call with Tim, our producer. If you want to keep up with us on social media, you can follow us at Entree Leadership. This episode was produced by Tim Hull, edited by Jacob Harrison and Bob Borquez, and mixed and mastered by Will Rudder. I'm your host, George Camel, and on behalf of the entire Entree Leadership team, thanks for listening. Until next time, keep learning and keep leading. If you enjoy this podcast, you should check out other great podcasts from the Ramsey Network, like the Dr. John Deloney Show. Mental health challenges and hurting relationships happen to everyone, but they don't have to define you. I'm Dr. John Deloney, and I help people navigate through the messy things in their lives on the Dr. John Deloney Show. I'll walk alongside you as you face parenting, marriage, and other relationship challenges. And I'll walk alongside you as you try to connect with people, as you face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn how to change your life. Listen, I want you to be well. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you listen to podcasts.